Welcome to Radio Rehab. Today on the show, my guest is Coach Tim. He's someone who I got close to my most recent time in recovery. I have learned so much from this man. One of my favorite Coach Tim quotes is, your lack of preparation is not my emergency. I use that all the time, but I'd love for you guys to meet him. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. I would like to welcome you, Coach Tim, to Radio Rehab. I've been threatening to have you on ever since I met you, and you finally are. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) So, um, as most people don't know, I guess, Tim and I met through a sober living recently that we were both in, and we are one of the handful of people, I think, that remained sober and stayed in touch, right? Yeah, there's not very many. I, well, I know some people have count, have stopped, but now they're back, I guess, relapse, short-term relapse. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good, I guess, that they're they're shorter. But, God, it gets harder and harder to come back. It does. Well, this was your first it's, treatment. Uh, it's not like a second. Oh, this second. second treatment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm the only one who has been in, like, 17 times. <laughs> um. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and how alcohol was present or not in your family. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, I had a great childhood. I, I have great parents that are still alive. Actually, they've been married for forever. They both went to high school together and, um, and, uh, alcohol entered my life when I was about five years old, I guess I was up visiting my grandfather in Santa Rosa he, um, he and my grandmother were living on a ranch, and I went up there to spend some time with them when my dad was going through the Highway Patrol Academy. So apparently my grandfather and I rode around in a Jeep and drank beer because that was obviously one of his favorite pastimes. So when my mom showed up, I was on the porch talking about a horse named Ruby, and I was, <laughs> had been drinking beer, and I was saying things like, well, that Ruby sure is a good old horse. And my mom says, what is the matter with him? And my grandpa started cracking up because he'd been drinking beer with me. <laughs> oh, my God. So you were five years old and drunk, but handling yes. your liquor like a true alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I look back, but that's the first time because I've been reminded of that numerous times, you know, as I grew up. Yeah, that's definitely funny. I think like that's how they can always tell an alcoholic is an alcoholic by when they drink something where most people would just pass out and be gone. But the alcoholic is still like up awake and talking. I know people say how tired they get. It doesn't do that to me. It's always been like a taking a stimulant to me. Yeah, me too. It's crazy. Yeah. So you obviously didn't continue to drink all throughout your, you know. No, I did not. (laughs) Elementary school. (laughs) No, <laughs> no, I did not start. I was, I was, you know, I think back sometimes and I started drinking with my friends. We'd go down to the store and either play, Hey, Mr. When we were in junior high. What's Hey, Mr. Well, that's when you go to, Hey, Mr. Will you buy me some beer? Oh, <laughs> so you're not old enough. So you stand out in front of the store on the side of the store. So nobody knows who you are. You're like Mr. Secret guy. Yeah. And you, and you take turns on who's going to go play. Hey, Mr. Oh, my God. Did it work? It worked all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Every weekend. <laughs> oh, my God. How old were you when you started doing that? 13, 14, probably. And then, like, you know, when you were in high school, were you kind of a regular drinker? Uh, No. I, on the weekends, sometimes. Um we would go play Hey Mister or my uh, or I'd talk my brother into buying us a six pack of Schlitz malt liquor. <laughs> and we would go drink that in what was called the sumps. They were oil filled sumps. And it was about a half a mile from the house. And you guys would just hang out there. Yeah, me and a couple of buddies. That we, we thought we were cool. <laughs> so uh, so you were kind of, you know, I guess, drinking the way you would say a normal 
teenager or whatever. Yes. They drink, yes. drink. It wasn't like really a problem. When did you first notice that it became a problem? And actually, did you notice it first or did somebody else notice it about you? No, I think I noticed at first that I was not the atypical drinker because when people wanted to go home or stop, I wanted to continue or maybe have some on the way home from wherever we were. So well, I wasn't really always ready to, to just up and quit. So I kind of look back and I, I realized that that was probably the start. Maybe if I had noticed things, things would have, you know, I didn't start out and want to be an alcoholic, Dana. It just happened. You didn't? <laughs> no, it's not as fun as I thought it would be. No, <laughs> it's terrible. No, I, I, I think then, and then, you know, I, uh, I had a girlfriend die in a car wreck. We dated all through high school. So oh. I'm going to school uh, over in San Luis Obispo, and she was coming over to visit, and I get a call that she'd been in a car wreck. And uh, her friend lived, but she didn't live. And I remember sitting on the pier drinking by myself, and that was like the first time I'd ever. So I was, let's see, I was 9, 20, 19 or 20, and I, that's the first time I'd ever started drinking by myself. Oh, so it was grief. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was the first time I can remember ever drinking, just drinking by myself. Yeah, to drink. Yeah, because that's a really heavy thing to go to. And for somebody who's already like a budding alcoholic and that's inside of you, like having somebody who's your age die, you know, is is really awakening in a bad yes, way. It was. And, you know, we'd, we'd gone to every prom and every formal. I never went to a prom or formal with anybody else. We started dating my sophomore year in high school. And she passed away while like your senior year? No, when I was uh, a sophomore in college, I finished oh. football and I was going, I, I moved to San Luis Obispo with intentions of going to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And, um, you know, that, that along with, I, I didn't get on with the fire department. So I was kind of just, I don't know, I guess it was a double sword at the time. Yeah. I was kind of lost for a while after that, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's like we don't really at that age have the vocabulary to talk about our feelings because it's, we don't know what that feeling is because, you know, people your age aren't supposed to die when you're that young. No. And, and, and you know, alcohol, I never thought about it being what it is. I, if someone was an alcoholic, I would like I, I don't think I even knew one. I, I, obviously, I did. But, you know, I had some relatives with my grandfather and my uncle and you know, and my brother now, I mean, he's, he's been through rehab now. And so, you know, and cousins. And so it's kind of been a family thing. I mean, both my grandparents and my grandmother, I look back, we're, we're alcoholics. So it's, it's been a family deal, but yeah, the tragedy stuff, I guess, is when I kind of started drinking more. Right. It took a change, I guess. I didn't drink just for fun. Yeah. It, it became the escape. Right. Yeah. And the thing that you're leaning on maybe and doing more like in private. Yeah, I get that. That's kind of when I came into my life too. Uh, like after my high school relationship ended, I was like, oh, this is what normal people do. They drink because they're upset. Yes. So, yeah. And it seemed less harmful than, you know, smoking crack. Yeah, I never did smoke the crack pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was never into that. Good for you. It was one of the uh, dumbest things I ever did in my life. <laughs> oh, shoot. So when you were, you're um, a sports guy, obviously, because you're a coach. So when you were in college, you were, um, you were playing football, I guess, right? Yeah, I was playing football, Baker, so college. And, um, and I was just kind of tired. I'd done it. I've been playing my whole, you know, for years, it seemed like. And, and I wasn't progressing. They were, you know, everybody else seemed to be bigger, stronger, faster. And I was still the same guy I was basically in high school or a little bit, you know. And so it, it, I could see the writing on the wall that I wasn't going to go on and play. So I knew it was ending. So it was time to move on. It was fine. Right. So you weren't you were OK with not playing professionally because you kind of accepted that? Yeah, I knew I didn't have that ability. I did play with a guy that played 13 years in the NFL and he could do things and it was just amazing. I was just amazed every day because he was my partner in drills. And I was like, this guy's incredible. I mean, it was just, he could do things that nobody else could do. Right. And he played professionally. 
Yeah, he played for the Rams for 10 seasons and the, the, the Dolphins for three. He was a safety. I guess I can say his name, Michael Stewart. He was a yeah, professional football player for a long time. Yeah, he doesn't need anonymity. So. <laughs> no. He'll probably know who I am, though, if he ever hears this broadcast. Uh, I bet he will. <laughs> no, I doubt he will be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't so- care. When you were in, um, when you graduated from college, like when you went on to do whatever it was you were going to do, what did you choose as your career at first? Interesting how that happened. So when I found out I couldn't get hired around the fire department, so I I was in fire technology and I'd taken all the, I'd done the EMT on the ambulance and I'd, I'd been through the fire technology classes and I was doing my, my, my interview and on my exit interview, the, the, person in charge of the county at the time says you're not going to get hired but we can put you on a waiting list I said but they said you did very well on the test but we're not hiring any white males we're only hiring females and minorities and so it was the first time so this is 1985 86 so it was like I finally had uh, it's the first time I really had ever seen discrimination I guess I mean I guess I'd always been around it or seen it or heard about it but as far as affecting me you know, so that did affect me. So I was like, crap, I got to start all over schools. Anyway, make a long story short. I'm working at a gas station off of Santa Rosa in San Luis Obispo, California. And I'm going to school at night. So I've got this career at the gas station that's going nowhere. But, you know, I'm paying my way and helping. And my parents helped me also. So anyway, to make a long story short, my football coach from high school calls me and says, Hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to school and I'm working at a gas station. He goes, well, why don't you come back home and come coach linebackers for me and uh, go to school here? I said, well, uh, I said, I guess I never really thought about it, coach. And he goes, he goes, no, Lemon, I want you. So I guess I lost my anonymity. I don't care. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) So anyway, a long time ago. (laughs) So one of my former coaches called me. He's the head coach now at this time. And so he calls me. And so I go back and it's 1980, fall of 86 is when it was, because that was my first year coaching football. So I went back and started coaching football and I went to Cal State University, Bakersfield. And I saw what those guys were doing for a living. And I was like, this is not a bad way to go. I mean, they, 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 they seem to be making a pretty good living. It wasn't like anybody was getting rich, but that was never a goal anyway. So, right. They seemed yeah. happy. I liked it. Plus, plus they partied all the time. So you could, You'd go to practice, and after practice, there was the bar, the local sports bar, and that's where, like, all the people from that had played there at the school and been in this community, and so it was like going back and, like, uh, it was a camaraderie, and so after practice or after games, you went to this bar, and people yeah. would buy you beers, and it was kind of like that show Cheers, like your friendly neighborhood place, right, so... That's what it sounds like, like a community and you know all the people there. It's not like you're in some weird, depressing bar. Like you're just no. life, it seems like. Exactly. And, and I'm you- single. I'm not dating. And I, I didn't date for a while after my girlfriend died. So uh, it's just I'm just doing that. I'm just coaching and going to school. Mm-hmm. And how long did that last for? I mean, you're still coaching. So, yeah, I'm still doing it. I'm still at the same school. <laughs> It's the same high school I graduated from. That's so there's something really cool about that. Yeah, well, think about this. My parents graduated there. So the school opened in 1953. My dad was a freshman. And he met my mother when he was a junior and she was a cheerleader. And my dad was a baseball player. And they were like the typical high school romance sweethearts. And they've been married never since. So yeah, I came from a great child in a great neighborhood in a great area. So I have no regrets about that at all. I mean, I nothing happened that caused me to drink, I guess. Yeah. From that standpoint. Yeah, I, I have kind of the same thing. Like my cousins and I always say we feel bad telling people about our childhoods because it was so good. You know, yes. so much love in the family, like everybody loved each other and there was, there was no-, no divorce. Yeah, there, yeah, same here. Nobody got divorced. I mean, what was that? I mean, nobody in my family did. Yeah, that happens to other people. Exactly. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, nothing. Nothing in my childhood would ever be like. Oh, no wonder she drank. You know, like there's nothing there. Yeah, I mean, either. So when did you um, like during this this period of your life? Were how was your relationship to alcohol? Like, were you 
thinking you were still normal or was it kind of getting out of hand? Like, how could you tell? Uh, being hung over on Fridays at work and starting to be hung over where I never really drank during the week. But once I started coaching, I was in that environment and that atmosphere. I had mm-hmm. an excuse to drink every night. I had nothing else. I had no attachments to anything except myself. Mm-hmm. And so all of my friends, several of my friends I played with started coaching there too. So it was like we were back in high school again, in a sense. We were all drinking together again and having a great time. And none of us were married. Right. Oh, the party still going. Yeah. So the party's still going and we're partying with our ex-coaches. So it's even funner. That's so cool. But it's it funny. It's not like, like, like a little community. It, it totally is. Yeah. When did things, because they all, you know, there's that whole uh, saying that alcohol for at first alcohol is fun and then it's uh, fun with problems and then it's just problems. So when did it start to become fun with problems? That's a good question. I, uh, I think when I, when I got out of coaching, I've been, uh, I was married. I had a couple of kids um, and I joined a, a golf club and that's when my drinking really escalated. And I, cause you can drink and play golf oh, yeah. no matter what time of day. Right. And so I liked it so much. I moved to the golf course. <laughs> so then I had my own golf cart. Plus there's a cart that goes around the golf course. So I could be out doing yard work in the backyard and the cart stops and ask me if I want to drink. Oh so my I, God. Yes. And they just charge it on your number. You pay for it, of course, but right. it was, it just became an escalating thing, Dana, where I wouldn't drink until maybe I'd played nine holes. So pretty soon I started drinking right when I teed off. And then pretty soon I was drinking on my way to the golf court course in my golf cart because I had a nice chest on my golf cart. Right. And then it escalated from just beer to then it became a vodka. And mm-hmm. once I hit vodka, my drinking changed completely. Right. It was the uh, death blow. Is it because you started um, hiding it because it was harder? Like, was it harder to relate to people while drink, you know, while drinking harder drinks? Yes, because when when I was not when I was in my environment at school and stuff, nobody drank. They just drank beer because it was a beer bar. It was a beer wine bar, right? That nobody they didn't have hard alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I um, I never drank there, but I wouldn't stay there very long because I'd always end up back at the golf course at the country club. So I'd be drinking vodka out there because that was very common and very normal. Everybody was drinking vodka or hard drinks out there. Like in Caddyshack. Yeah. So I guess to, to escalate it further. So that becomes a deal. Then I quit playing golf as much and I go back into coaching. Well, then I'm drinking on the way home every day from practice. Uh-huh. And instead of going to the bar, I was a good boy. So I'd just go home. Well, right. I would drink more at home. Uh, so drinking at home became drinking on the way home from work to having a few glasses of wine and cook dinner for my wife. And then when she would go to bed, I would escalate. Right. That's when I would hide vodka. That's when it became a problem. Led to some health problems. Had two stents put in my heart. My doctor says, you can't drink and take this medication. And I said, that's a bunch of bullshit. Hell, I'd heard that shit my whole life. You guys all say that shit. You go to the same class. Take this pill. You can't drink. So I did. Guess what? Nothing happened. I had a freaking seizure. You did? Yeah. So I have a seizure and I'm like, this sucks. So, but I have to take this medicine because, you know, the heart. So I'm like, God damn, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I discovered this new pill called Xanax at that time. Ooh. And they said, you can't drink with that. But my anxiety was, was going through the roof. Mm -hmm. And you know, anxiety is obviously alcohol doesn't help it. But if you combo anxiety and alcohol, you convince yourself that you got it figured out. Yeah, like you, you think mixing it. Exactly. Like it's a test thing. It's like, I finally found my niche. Right. I can do both and function for a while. Right. That shit doesn't pan out after a while. No. Like Xanax, especially when mixed <laughs> with alcohol, is like instant blackout. Like and what's funny is it, yeah, it looks like my best friend. He goes, Lemon, you can't drink and take those things. I said, Oh, hell, that's bullshit. I said, What do you mean? He goes, no. He goes, I know people have had problems. I said, yeah, that's for other people. That shit ain't bothering me. Let's go play golf. You know? <laughs> so I could take Xanax. I wouldn't get hung over with taking Xanax. 
Right. And I was like, man, I can have a few vo- some vodka, take a Xanax. I go to bed. I sleep. Right. Not hungover. I just don't remember anything between falling asleep and getting up and talking to my wife or walking around the house and sleepwalking or can't find the bathroom and have to wake somebody up to show me and I'm right next to it. <laughs> so the Xanax still ended up in a bad way. And I'd had a seizure on that too. I was like, well, hell. So that's when I decided to go to rehab the first time. My wife was very upset. I could tell it was a problem. I was hiding it. You know, when you're hiding it in your car, you're hiding it in your golf bag. You're getting up at night to go have a drink in the garage by yourself. Yeah. Really? Is it fun? No, it sucks. No. You're doing it so you can go back to sleep or actually go back and pass out. Right. Yeah. That's Passing what it just, it lost all its fun. It lost any, it, it just lost its fun. Yeah. And so I, so I went to rehab over in a Royal Grande at a place called Haven. And I went there for a very short time. Uh, I think I detoxed here in Baker. I did a detoxed here. And then I went to uh, Haven and uh, went to rehab there for only for like two or three weeks. And then I had it figured out. I went to a few of those AA meetings. I'd never, I'd never been to those. Uh-huh. But, so I started going to some of those and I got that book called the big book book. <laughs> and I, I used to read some funny stories and stuff about people, but that wasn't me. Right. I didn't lose my job. I didn't lose my house. I didn't lose my car. So I told myself, I'm just going to quit this stuff for about a year. This is after about three or four months of being sober. I said, I'll go for a year and then I'm, I'm back. I should be good by then. I don't think I have that big a problem. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to prove because my wife really wanted me to go. As a matter of fact, she picked me up from detox and I said, I can't wait to get home and go take a shower. And she goes, you're not going there. I said, what? And she drove me to the coast to go to the deep, go to the, the rehab place. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't get to go home. So, and I, I really wasn't in a position to argue. You know, how you are when you first get out of detox. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're a meek little mouse. I was, I was like whooped. I've like been lost. Beat. Yeah. I'd lost. I was lost. So I ended up there. Make a long story short. I, um, I came back and I quit drinking for, for over a year. Oh, so, you were able to, to stay dry for a year. Yeah. I stayed dry wow. for a year. And, uh, and I was trying to do the step thing on my own, but that didn't pan out. But, and I never got a sponsor. And I quit for over a year, got COVID, went to the beach, <laughs> oh, God. got COVID. I've been, I was riding my bike all the time. At that time, I was in really good shape, got COVID, just wiped me and my wife out. Mm. That's when I was stuck at home. It was summer in July, a July over a year ago. Not this last July, but obviously the July before that. And then my lung capacity didn't come back. I couldn't ride my bike anymore. I was like, you know what? It's been over a year. Hell, and I called my buddy. I said, I go, let's go have a beer. He goes, you ready? I said, yeah. Hell, my doctor said my liver tests are bad, are good. My liver enzymes weren't elevated anymore. Uh-huh. So I'm, like, I'm back in action. Yeah. It's amazing how fast you go from having a few beers to the vodka calling. Yep. And I'm right back in the same boat. And I'm like, this, I can't believe I'm back. And it didn't happen. It just. It's like it's happened so fast. Right. Well, I'm, back, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there taking shots of vodka, pumping gas at a gas station. I'm like, what a loser. You know, what's the matter with me? Yeah. I felt like I was at the lowest point, you know? So then summer hit. I'm off work. Well, I was, I was like, oh, I got, what am I going to do today? I got nothing to do. Well, I'll start drinking. So I'd watch The Price is Right. So I wouldn't drink until The Price is Right came on at 10 a.m. So then oh, I yeah, make my waited till then. <laughs> yeah, I waited, you know. Like the one guy says, you can't drink all day if you don't start early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I took that philosophy. <laughs> yeah, that went over well. So I would I would drink and then I I would be okay. I went to New York and took my daughter when she graduated from college and I was fine there. I drank, but I didn't I never get I never got hammered or what I call hammered. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, can, I guess you kind of get to like a a, a, a a place in alcohol where at least I did, where I was just more of just a functioning. I wouldn't say I was drunk because I was still doing everything. I, 
it, it, it just would catch up with me later on at night, I guess. When my wife would go to sleep, I would sit up and drink. Right. And that's when I would get to wear the blackout or the not knowing and wake up and try to remember what we had for dinner, that type of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's so hard the next day when you don't remember what happened. It's like, wait, do I have anything I need to apologize for? You know? Exactly. And that's the worst feeling in the world is when you don't know. Yeah. And you just have to count on other people's reactions to you to know if you're okay or not, or what you did or didn't do. Yes. And so you saw me this last time, uh, I had already been out of detox and I showed you that picture of me. Yeah. And, and, and one guy said, he goes, you look like you were like a framer uh, putting on a roof in Alaska somewhere. You look like you were just an old man. It was, I said, yeah, well, that point was where I was drinking more vodka, drinking, not doing anything, sitting at home with my dog on my couch, drinking protein shakes and eating pumpkin seeds. And that was my life. Wow. I didn't even go outside. And so one night, my why I had a, I had a, another seizure. Sue and I talk. I said, I don't even care if I live anymore, to be honest with you. That's where I was. Yeah. I never, and I don't know if that was the alcohol talking, but I really didn't. I said, you guys will be fine. Hell, you might be better off, you know? Yeah. If, if I'm not around, because I really don't have anything to live for. I've nothing motivated me. I had no excitement in life. I looked forward to nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, well, I need to go to get help. So that's when my brother came and got me. And took me to, not to Cliffside, but to a, a rehab place down there in L.A. And I can't remember the name of the city, but for the life of me, I can't remember this. That's weird. Anyway. Was it the Culver City one? Yeah, Culver City. Yeah, okay. I yeah, went. I know that one. That was um, ARC. ARC, that's where I went. Right. <laughs> so my brother drives me to ARC. Well, they won't let me in. <laughs> <laughs> what was their what was their reasoning for not letting you in? I don't know what their problem was, but I know that they said I couldn't hardly talk or walk. I said, hell, what kind of goddamn rehab is this? <laughs> I'm here because I am grown. <laughs> so they go, you take him home or take him somewhere and bring him back the next day. So my brother and I went to a couple of hotels. Of course, he let me go in to try to check in and nobody was going to let me check in. So we slept in the car out in front of that ARC place, which we really didn't sleep much. Yeah. And I just remember waking up going, oh, hell. Yeah. And I walk in there and they go, here's your room. I went up and slept. And this guy wakes me up and says, here, you need to drink this. And I thought, wow, where am I? What do you mean I need to drink this? He goes, it's, it's blue Gatorade. It's, I, could, I remember what it is now because that's all they had to drink, that and water at the time. So he was trying to get me to drink blue gay. He goes, you're dehydrated as hell. I heard you trying to go to the bathroom. And he goes, you're going to die if you don't drink something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was it a so, staff member or like a... Uh, no, he what? was my roommate. Oh, wow. Yeah, he wasn't my roommate for long. I must have scared him. But anyway, <laughs> he didn't want to wake up, but I was dead. Right. Yeah. So you're I was there. I, I think I was there for me. I realized the problem was not going to go away. I was not going to be able to handle it myself, which was very difficult for me because I'm very competitive. I like to win. And for to, to just like, to me, it was like, is it my willpower I don't have? What's wrong with me? I, I've overcome everything I've ever basically been challenged with. I mean, I'm, I'm loyal. I, I do everything right. I don't steal. I don't, you know, right. just this alcohol freaking thing took me down and it, and it was taking me down faster and faster and faster. To the point of just, I said, hell, I can't do this. I was, that's when I told my wife, I said, I need help. And that's when my brother took me. And I thank him now. I didn't thank him that day, but I knew I needed help, you know? Yeah. I, I knew I needed help. And that wasn't going to get any better. And I said, and on one of my players had, had, I couldn't believe this. I, I found out one of my former players had died. I said, I don't understand. He said, help tell them. He, he drank himself to coach. He drank himself to death. I said, what? He was the happiest kid. He married his high school sweetheart. I said, I remember coaching him in, in like the uh, late 80s, early 90s. They said, Coach, he drank himself to death. I was like, crap. So I was kind of thinking throughout through two, and I was like, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want my wife. And I guess looking at my wife's face and the disappointment, it was just too much. And I, and I thank her for everything because I don't even know, Dan, honestly, I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you sober if it wasn't for her.
Yeah. Because I was dead set on, I'll just go to Mexico, get a house, go fishing and drink until it's over. Yeah. And just destroy, destroy yourself. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That sounds so bad, but it didn't sound bad at the time. Right. Because that's like the low points that we get to it. Like, I know everyone, everyone's rock bottom looks a little different, but it's all the same as far as the feeling of like, I don't, I wouldn't care if I didn't wake up tomorrow. Like we all have that same feeling. I know. And now you think about that and and it's, it's to, 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 I guess to a normie or a lay, uh, they can't even imagine that feeling of that lowness, that, that low point where I don't even care if I die. I don't, and alcohol didn't have a taste anymore. It was just, I could just chug it. It was, yeah, I don't know why. I just, I didn't even mix it. Me neither. It like, what was that? A waste of time. I didn't even put it in a cup. <laughs> yeah. You know, I never understood wine tasting because I had some friends that got into that. What a slow down waste of time that is. I know. It doesn't get to where you need to be. I can't imagine uh, like any alcoholic wine tasting unless they got drunk before they went. No, what you do is you take vodka with you and everybody thinks you're having Chardonnay. It's the same color. You're just going to the bathroom and loading your, your Chardonnay. <laughs> now that's how to do a wine testing. <laughs> that's professional right there. That is. What kind of wine is that? doesn't matter. Does it mix well with vodka? Exactly. God. What uh, a loser. That's the worst. <laughs> But yeah, it's like, I think what they call in the big book, the gift of desperation is kind of where we have to get to where we're like, okay, this isn't working and I can't successfully die and I can't successfully live. So I've got to, somebody's got to help me. Yeah. I I think, you know, I thought, you know, of course we try everything, right? I'm just going to go back and drink beer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I, I started uh, drinking those uh, non-alcoholic beers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not a good plan. No, not at all. You know what they say? Non-alcoholic beer is for (laughs) non-alcoholics. Yeah, because that was not going to work out for me. Right. It didn't have the it didn't have the punch. Yeah. And And just a little bit enough to just make you crave it more. And right before I quit, they started coming out with these like uh, hard ciders. Mountain Mike's hard lemonades or stuff like some kind of a, they were like eight or 10% alcohol cans. I noticed that. I mean, I think the alcohol industry must've made so much money off of us during the pandemic. Oh yeah. It was, it was crazy. And I was like, why do I need to buy a six pack of beer? I could drink one or two of these things. Exactly. Even have spiked water now. It's like, what? Why would anybody buy that? Just water with alcohol in it? What even is that? And then they put caffeine in it. Mm. (laughs) So you can stay more wide awake. Exactly. So you can be wide awake and drunk and crazy at the same time. Yeah. Perfect combination, right? Oh, yeah. That's that's something that no normie ever wants to have to deal with (laughs) is us wide awake and drunk. Yeah, and I uh, I used to have that conversation with my wife, and I could tell she didn't really want to have that conversation. You keep repeating your stories. You keep repeating yourself. So that went on and on and on. I hated that when I would say something and somebody go, yeah, 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 you told me. And I knew I was that guy, you know, because you see people, you've had people do that to you and you're like, oh, that's annoying. So it's like to be that person really sucks. (laughs) Yeah, and. I remember telling my wife, I don't drink as much as my friend, that guy. Well, then right. I became that guy because my friend says, I use you as the guy. Wow. I was like, well, yeah, you're the guy. I don't drink as much as he does. Yeah. That's why I'm pissing all pissed off. Well, yes, she was. <laughs> <laughs> we, be- we become the lower companions at some point <laughs> during our drinking career. It's like, oh my God, I'm that person. I am. And I, I didn't want to be who does, but I was like, God dang, I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> so when you, when you, uh, when you started, cause I know you, you kind of um, went back out into the real world really slowly. Like you were in sober living and you would go home for the weekend and come back and, you know, yes. things like that. So that you always had a safe place to come back to, you know, you couldn't get yeah, that, was- that way. That was, that was, um, I, I think that was good for me uh, because, 
you know, it's it's funny. I'm one of our friends that that was in our house with us. I said, you know, to be honest with you, I could have just lived there forever. Me too. And probably been, and probably been been fine because I would always be tested. And I was having. It's not like I was just dreading and hating the place. And then yeah, I would come back to my life and great, you know, see my wife and stuff. But um, you know, it was uh, I don't know. It was good, I guess, because I started driving and. I would think about stuff and, 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 you know, I was very involved in, in the program at that time. Well, I still am. I'm still active now in AA. Um, but I, uh, I, I just think it helped me in the sense that I got, like, I know the first time I went to a bar, she goes, does this trigger you? And I said, no, it doesn't. I said, that's not what caused my drinking. I don't care if somebody's in a bar or restaurant drinking. That doesn't get me my, that never did. Right. And, um, and then I think that was the first time like my wife ever asked me what triggers me or what, because it was always just, why are you drinking? You know, it wasn't what's causing it. Or I think maybe she understands there was a cause of it now. Right. And it wasn't her, you know, it totally yeah. wasn't her. Exactly. I know it, it, it never is. But I know that for the spouses, it always feels like it is them. And we sometimes as the alcoholic make it about them. Yeah. Not. Well, we're looking to put any blame on anything but ourselves. Yeah, exactly. So now you're living, you're back living at home and you're doing great and you're with your dog <laughs> and your family. And my dog's staring at me right now. If I knew how to change the camera angle, you'd be able to see, oh, maybe you can see him now. I know. No, it's like I'm interviewing him. Like I can, oh, there you are. <laughs> I can totally see the dog. <laughs> That's my partner. That's awesome. Well, yeah, it sounds like you're doing great and, um, so about one question, what was it hard to find meetings or to find like a connection or a community when you got back home? You know, I, when I, I did not want to go back to AA because I had been to AA and I got tired of listening to the same talk about the same thing. And so when I was at Cliffside, I recall trying to do a, oh, I think it was like a scientific method. I don't know mm -hmm. the name of it now, but there was another group that you could go to, but Bakersfield didn't have the offer, didn't offer it like they did down south you guys have everything down there oh yeah and here it's it's pretty limited so you know so i i started going back to aa uh i had been went back to the same groups that kind of i'd been to um and so i got connected and you know i'll be honest with you i never had a sponsor it took me like six months before i got this sponsor yeah it's the first one i've ever had that's awesome. I know it took me a long time too, but that's just because like I already had one the last go around and I didn't know how to like start over. Yeah. I've already yeah. done that, but I do need to start over. So, but that's so, awesome. Yeah. So I go to meetings, like I'll go tonight. I go to a Tuesday night meeting. Wednesday, I've had a therapist that I'd never had had a therapist, but they talked me into going to therapy. I've like <laughs> never had that stuff. Well, why do I need to go see what some one of those guys or, but, um, it's kind of interesting how that works. I, I, I would recommend it to someone now, but before I've been like, why would you go do that? You know? <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> exactly. Like those, that's for people with real problems. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I do that. And you know what? I, um, I text, I email you guys, those little things you, and obviously you send me them back and, um, yeah. and I enjoy that. And that's the only way I stay in contact. I don't know how to I, the alumni meetings. I would like to go to one, or, but it's so far away. You know, I it's a two and a half hour drive one way, so or two oh, hours. Yeah. And, and and at five o'clock, Los Angeles is not fun, and the one hundred and one <laughs> is not fun at all. So neither's well, the four hundred and five. I mean, I would rather die than go on that. So none of the freeways in LA are fun, but there is, you know, I I think. I like and I but I prefer in-person meetings to Zoom meetings. I do too. But, I'm with you. I mean, yeah, I'll do a Zoom if I have to, but yeah, I I much I rather prefer prefer like being in front of people, uh, you know, getting to see people and being able to connect because it's just different on a computer. Well, it's real. Yeah. A, a computer sometimes or the Zoom to me is obviously you can walk away if you, you don't. Yeah. You could do things you wouldn't do at a meeting. Like you wouldn't get up in the middle of somebody's share and go to the kitchen if you were at a meeting, you know? No, exactly. And and I think that, I think it's almost like a detachment and I need that attachment. I don't need to be detached because once I start isolating and I get bored, 
I go into my dark place and I know what's that's leading to. I have to do everything I can to avoid that. So coaching and, and getting them back involved in what the things I used to do is keeping me and meetings and having a sponsor and doing things actively keeps me from going to that spot. Am I avoiding it? I don't know if it's necessarily avoidance as much as it is just trying to get better, trying to move on. Being happy and sober takes work. You know, yes. it's not easy. It, there, you have to have a concrete program that you do every day. Otherwise, you just fall back into the depression and the reason, you know, you start to feel the reasons that you drank in the first place. And that all just comes back. Like it's, yeah, it takes effort. And, and my anxiety level has just not been there. Every once in a while it comes back. But before I really had bad anxiety. Right. And dry heaves in the morning when I'd like brush my teeth or whatever. It's, oh, it was terrible. Mm. It was just brutal. But um, yeah, my anxiety hasn't come back. You know, I, uh, I knew how to take care of anxiety when I was popping Xanax and drinking alcohol, but that didn't last for long. Right. And it just masks it. Sure like, it does. It's yeah. The stuff you're doing now is actually, you know, helping your anxiety. Yeah. The therapist, he gives me like little things to do. And I'm like, that stuff really works. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need to school for that? <laughs> There's something to it. <laughs> you got to sell that. thanks so much to tim for being on radio rehab i'm so glad we got to have him on the show he's he's awesome sorry i told you you were gonna love him i do love him and i even i love him even more because of how uh uh tech needy he is and how much he embraces that (laughs) Oh, I know. Like, and he, but he doesn't even care. He's like, yep, I don't know how to do it. I'm like, I'm sure we can get you on the podcast. We can figure it out. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't oh, know if this, no. I don't know if this ended up on the, uh, on the actual conversation. He might've alluded to it a little bit, but we spent like a good 15 or 20 minutes <clears throat> trying to connect him so that yeah, you guys could see each other, but then you never really but, got to see each other. You saw his feet and his dog. Yes. <laughs> I heard his voice. So I knew I was talking to him and then he turned the computer around at the end. So I got to see his face, but he kept the, the, but I don't know if this came through as he kept calling him was, he's like, see, Dana, I told you I was a caveman. <laughs> <'Cause>, oh, <yeah. laughs> he he couldn't so get funny. the tech quite right. But I mean, like he was able to get his story out and you guys were able to have the conversation, which was so, it was, it, it was so sweet. And it made me yeah. think of, it made me think I, I liked how you kind of dove into the fact that, you know, the meeting part of it and like the program of recovery kind of changed him a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what's different this time, because like all of us who have relapsed, it's like what's different this time. And for him, it's like the program of recovery. So I'm glad he's got one and is giving himself a chance. And I'm sure like from what he said, it's making him happy. I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up because he told me to. He calls me Dana Doobie as if that's my last name. Like that's how I'm in his phone, you know, because in early recovery, you're always looking for some kind of spiritual thing or like a sign or something from your higher power. So I am in the back of his car with another friend of ours who who was in the same place. And my dad came on the radio and right as I was thinking like about like having difficulty, having a higher power and like all that stuff. My dad came on and I was like, it's a sign. That's my dad. Like, normally, I don't even tell people that. And they're both like, your dad's the Doobie Brothers? <laughs> oh, so nobody, yeah, okay, I was just, that was my first question. I was like, wait, did they know that that was your dad or not? Like, or the, the connection? Yeah. Is, I just out, hey, I know that guy. Yeah, you do. Sure you do, Dana. I know, right? Are you, are you, are you, are you sure you're good? <laughs> Whenever I tell people that, I love hearing from them the next day. They're like, oh, you were telling the truth. I'm like, you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I love to tell everybody that. Because I just make shit up. <laughs> oh, that's that's for another time, another day. <laughs> yeah, that's for another time. But yeah, it was it was good to get Tim on this show, and we've got lots of cool guests this month, and have had some good guests so far since we started back up. I'm excited because you know since we've rebooted, we've had three men on. 
and I'm looking forward to you've you've booked some uh some women in the mix here and I'm yeah I'm looking forward to hearing their stories and happy to say that because it's International Women's Day so happy International oh. Women's Day to you on happy this International Women's Day to you too like people were telling me um just the other day about uh I forget that people listen to this show and listen to what we do you know like you know what i mean i ever when i say that i always mean it that i'm like i forget that somebody's listening to us yeah not that i don't think anybody's not listening but i always forget that whatever we say is like kind of out there right? right and um the other day uh i was hanging out with some friends and they were just like i heard your sh- i heard your show and um i heard dana's story and her coming back uh, coming back from everything and it made me cry and and uh the you know she's so strong and and all these all these really good praising things and i'm like and i love that we're actually dropping a show today on international women's day to kind of showcase what you've been doing with yourself yeah me too i'm i'm glad to be back and i'm glad to doing that i'm still not really on social media like it still gives me the runs when i try to go on there it's no so, i know it's so overwhelming and i think i like I don't know how many unread messages I have. And when I start thinking about responding, it's like I start having a panic attack. Uh, so yeah, I'm taking it really slow on social media. So if you've reached out, um, I apologize. How, if I come back to you. How are your text messages? Oh, I'm, I've whittled them down where I don't know where we were at. last. We're time. at 30 something last time. Oh my God. You're going to be really impressed. Hmm. Six. Ooh. Yes. So, so yeah. I'm so, done so, so the people that are listening, you guys can start emailing or you can start texting. Let me get through my list. (laughs) No, actually a friend of ours, a mutual friend, I'll tell you off there who it was, but a friend of ours uh, that I was with last night um, was like, oh, um, I want to text Dana, but I heard from your episode that she has a lot of texts to get through. So I'll wait. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I really appreciate that. Um, and then they know me, I'd probably say something like, I'll just text her. It's yeah, I fine. know. No one knew. probably did. I get like three texts and I'm added to some group chat. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be a busy week for me, too, because, as you know, I do the St. Jude's Radiothon. I've been doing it every year since KFOG, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember when it was a, when we were part of when I was at KFOG, that was a big deal then. Yeah. And now um, for my Visalia market for 99.7 Classic Rock, they do a St. Jude's Radiothon every year, uh, which I go and I'm live at. So I'm going to Visalia and we're going to be doing the St. Jude's Radiothon this week on Thursday and Friday. That's 99.7 Classic Rock. Cool. So yeah, seven classicrock.com, I believe, is the website. Yeah, and I mean, like, for those of you that don't know, I mean, it's it, they stream, right? They, they stream. yeah, they stream. They, yeah, because I was looking for you one time and I had to pull out my phone so that I could listen to see if you were still alive. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, but yeah, you're on middays, yeah, on middays, Monday through Friday, and I'm on 1077 The Bone in San Francisco on weekends. So um, for those of you that's new to the show or didn't know that, you know, Dana does have, you have chops, you, you know, you you do this DJ thing way before you did this. Exactly. I know. And I wonder if that made it easier. I think it didn't make it easier because sometimes when I listen, you and I have talked about this a million times, but when I listen to podcasts, you can tell when somebody started a podcast because they listen to a lot of NPR. (laughs) It's like, mm. I see what you're trying to do. And this one, we don't really edit. It's just straight to tape. It's almost like a live radio show. Right. Yeah, it's very, there's very little that we take out, you know. As far as editing goes. Right. And we we try to keep it as real as possible. Of course, we, you know, we can't always do that, but we, we clean it up a little bit. But um, yeah. for, for for the most part, we're, we're 99% us yes <laughs> <laughs> rain or shine 
<laughs> Warts well, we are going to have women on next week. Uh, so we've got some women guests coming up, as you said. And uh, if you know of anyone who would like to be on the show or if you think you should be on the show, email us. It's radio rehab at go to productions.com. That's G O dash T O productions.com. You can text us even when we're not on air. Let's see if I remember the number 415 496 9511. There you go. Maybe my brain's drying out a little. (laughs) Not quite as wet as it used to be. It's just damp. (laughs) I have a damp brain. (laughs) Damp brain. That's, I'll take it. I'll take it. So, yeah. we're going to have some women on, like I was saying next week, women are hard to get on the show for some reason. Like they're, they're less inclined to tell their story um, from what I've experienced from trying to get them on the show, maybe just more uh, intimidated sometimes, but like, yeah, we need women. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and the women that we've had on are always, they've always been great and good yeah. stories. So uh, yeah, I look forward to it. I mean, like, yeah, we're we're as i keep saying and hopefully one of these days i'll stop saying is we're still shaking off the rust we're we're getting into the groove but i like the groove that we're in you know we me too we, you know like we're we're you know like we're doing these shows they're coming out on tuesdays and uh people are are responding really well to them so uh so thank you everybody keep emailing us please um, yes keep emailing and texting us and commenting on our posts. Um, actually, I'll, we'll end it with this one. Um, we got a Facebook message uh, this time this week from a friend that I've heard of before. I think she's a longtime listener, Holly. And she just uh, said, I'm so happy to have you back on Radio Rehab, Dana. You're the perfect host. Keep coming back. Oh, thank you, Holly. It means so much to me. Um, yeah, like... Please spread the word because I'm wanting Radio Rehab to be a community for all of us where we have like our own gang. So if you could like share this podcast with other people, you know, um, subscribe, like, rate, whatever those things are that you have to do in order to be able to build this as an actual community. Yeah. And and let us know that you're there that I mean, like that's, you know, that's a big driving force for us getting the emails and getting the comments and, you know, any and in, in any fashion, uh, you know, we love it. We're like, yeah. it's it's really exciting. It's like, oh, there's people out there. Yeah, it's not just us talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks again uh, to Coach Tim for being on the show, and we will be back next week with another guest. And like I said, I'm going to be doing the St. Jude's Radiothon this week on 99.7 Classic Rock That Rocks. If you want to check that out. Thank you for listening and keep coming back.